Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to TetheredNation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created for military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From A Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 279. Today, I'm bringing to you another short session about the top five things that helped me become a better bow hunter, and they may help you too, so stay tuned.
All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy whatever day of the week this is that this ends up coming out. Bringing to you another short uh, podcast. Uh, if you missed, I think it was like two seventy six or something like that that I that I released. It was a short kind of 15, 20 minute uh, podcast that is actually based off of a YouTube video that I did. And this is the same. Some people listen to YouTube or watch YouTube. Some people prefer to listen to podcasts. And whenever the content's relevant and doesn't need the video support, I thought I would start releasing them here. I got some positive feedback. Uh, based on the first one that I released. So I thought, hell, I had this one in the can. It's going to release on YouTube. I figured I would use it here as well for those of you that don't check out the tube. So today's session, what kind of, you know, I guess inspired or made me think of, I guess, this idea to do this this video, this podcast, was I started just kind of thinking one day while I was driving, you know, if I had to kind of stop and think about what are like the top things or the things that probably had the biggest impact on me going from, you know, a guy who loved bow hunting and, you know, was passionate about it, but just always felt like I wasn't at the right place or just, you know, wasn't having the type of hunts that I wanted to have, wasn't having the type of encounters I wanted to have, wasn't filling tags. And if I was at, if I was somewhere that I was not familiar with, I kind of felt a little bit like a fish out of water, you know, or a little bit, I don't want to say lost isn't the right word, but just not on my game, you know, I started this podcast. I've talked to you guys, listen to it. I've talked to all kinds of people from all over the place that hunt all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different states and habitat terrain, you name it, you know, we've probably covered it here. And so I kind of stopped and thought about, well, what are the things that I kind of actually taken from doing all these shows and put into my bag of tricks and which ones are the ones that after all these years are the ones that I consistently kind of go back to, to kind of build my foundation. Now this isn't an end all be all list. There's a lot of different things that have helped you know, me along the way and probably have helped you along the way. Um, so it's not an end all be all list. I would think of it as more of a, a foundation. And a lot of you might be past the foundation point for those, but for those that are, you know, that listen to this show that might be newer on their hunter journey, there might be things that they've just not kind of keyed in on or, or, or picked up on. And it certainly is always good. I find it at least for myself to go back and kind of, uh, re-examine things that I view as being foundational because I sometimes will slip up on some of the finer points of those foundations that end up being the difference between kind of understanding a piece of uh, sign or being at the right place at the right time or playing the wing correctly or whatever the case is. So that's the point of this. These are the top five things for me over the course of however many years um, have, have become kind of the bedrock or the foundation of helping me become a better bow hunter. Hope you guys dig it. Thanks for listening. To be good at anything or to get better at anything, there is a level of commitment and likely goal setting that will come along with it. I know for me personally, whenever I wanted to become a better bow hunter and and move away from just hunting the family farm and do a little bit more exploring, I started a podcast and this YouTube channel. Now, I'm not saying in order to become a better bow hunter that you need to do those things necessarily, but there is some effort that is going to be involved to kind of uh, enhance your skill set to where you can take on challenges outside of the things that you are already familiar with. For me, after hundreds of episodes of the podcast, I was able to pick up a bunch of bits and pieces from all the different hunters that I've had come on the show that hunt a variety of different terrain, habitat types from across the country. I found a few trends among all the bow hunters I had a chance to talk to, and whenever I broke it down and thought about it, there were really five trends that stuck out to me, and these are the five trends that might help you become a better bow hunter. Trend number one that stuck out to me was how much time they spend studying maps and how good they are at reading maps and kind of breaking stuff down even from an e-scouting perspective before they even before they even get there to start making to start making a plan. You don't need to be Magellan necessarily to use maps successfully to, 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 to hunt whitetails. However, the better you are at map reading, 
the easier it's going to be to quickly identify areas on a map where a deer is going to want to spend time in daylight hours and likely save yourself a lot of time scouting. At minimum, you want to be able to start to identify some of the key top topography features that whitetails are going to want to use. You're going to want to be able to identify you know, benches. You're going to want to identify points. You're going to be identify ridges. You're going to want to be able to identify saddles, things of the, that nature, inside corners and stuff like that. Some of the basic principles you know, of whitetail hunting from a map perspective, you're going to want to be able to identify um, those pretty quickly. When you move from looking at topography, which is what we were just talking about, to satellite imaging, what you really want to use satellite imaging for, at least what I use it for, is try to identify areas of edge, uh, deer or creatures of edge, so anywhere you can find a hard edge or even slightly identify a soft edge is gonna be a place that you might wanna, you might wanna potentially check out. Also, it's great for identifying changes in habitat. Wherever you have a change of habitat might be a good place to check those transition areas. Um, deer like to spend time in, the, in those places as well. The other thing I like to use it for is to identify anywhere that there might be diversity of habitat. And this will also kind of show up on a satellite imagery where you see just kind of changes of foliage. Maybe it's from a sparse kind of hardwood kind of setup to maybe a swamp or something like that. Any place that there's that diversity of habitat are going to be places of interest uh, for you as a hunter and are, are also going to be places of interest for a deer. All this not only helps you understand how deer live and or use the uh, the area that you want to hunt, but it also helps you, like I said before, cut down significantly on your scouting time by being able to effectively read maps and prioritize areas where there should be a good opportunity of finding the right sign that you're looking for and be able to quickly kind of mark off spots that really aren't gonna pan out just by looking at it from a topography and satellite image standpoint. The second thing that consistently popped out to me or stood out to me with all these hunters, great hunters I've had a chance to talk to is their understanding of wind and thermals. To me, the map reading and understanding of wind and thermals kind of work together where being able to read a map really well might put you in the right area or the, the right spot. You find the sign, maybe you find the right setup after you scout and stuff like that. But Understanding the wind and thermals in that particular area is going to be the difference in allowing you to have either a great hunt and, and, and fill in a tag or going home completely empty handed. It's, it's that critical. Being completely honest with you, once I had an understanding of wind and thermals and could actually use it in a hunt in real time, my hunt quality went through the roof. At a basic level, the, your wind and thermals at a location, or there's, there's multiple variables that are kind of going on at the same time. You have your prevailing wind, you know, which is what you see on a weather app, you know, whatever you might be looking at. You have your thermals, which is the heating and cooling of the Earth's surface in that, you know, in whatever area that you, that you might be in. And then there's also all the different obstacles in the area that you're hunting that might be changing the prevailing wind and moving the wind current around. All three of these things are kind of happening at the same time and one or the other, <clears throat> or any one of the three, can really kind of take over at any moment in, in the hunt, which is why it's important to wind map areas uh, when you get a chance to. Not only can these things change from hunt to hunt, they can change within the hunt. One moment you could be getting a wind doing one thing and it could be based on the temperature in the morning when you get there. And then your thermals may change throughout the day as the earth's surface is heating up and it may not be good to hunt in the afternoon and evening just based on you know what whatever the particular setup is and so once you kind of understand how to factor in those kind of shifting dynamics your ability to put yourself in the right spot to have the advantage of the wind um, skyrockets once you get the hang of being able to play the wind and thermals effectively now you can start to set you know think about setups to where you know a lot of uh, beginning bow hunters or beginning hunters in general their first step, and it's a good first step, is to just make sure the deer doesn't have your wind, 
right? Just make sure if he's coming from your north, the wind is blowing anything but out of the south toward where that deer is going to be coming from, right? That might work on some young deer, and, but deer that have maybe been pressured or been educated may not work so well for them. So when you start to really understand wind and thermals, you start to get a better idea of how you can give the deer the wind and set up in a situation that might be a little risky, um, but still keeping yourself clean enough to give yourself that small window to get a shot opportunity off with the deer thinking that he's completely bulletproof on that wind setup. I've done quite a few podcasts with Dan Enfault on this topic. I'll put some links in the descriptions to check those out. We've covered this topic thoroughly and, and quite honestly, he's probably one of the best people I've ever talked to uh, in relationship to understanding wind and thermals and how to use them in a hunt. Another one of the things that popped out to me consistently uh, with these bow hunters that are finding success consistently is that they scout with intent and are looking to explore. Those two things might seem like they're at odds with each other, so let me kind of explain what I'm talking about. Once I upped my ability to read maps and understand uh, wind and thermals, it made scouting up with intent a lot easier for me. And what I was able to do, especially with my, you know, getting better and better at reading maps, is I was able to quickly kind of mark off areas on a map that just from looking at the map itself probably wasn't gonna have the type of habitat I was looking for or wasn't going to present the right type of topography that I was looking for to kind of move deer around and things of that nature. So I could quickly kind of mark places off the map and it would lead me to priority places that on a map look great and I'm going to beeline it to those spots and scout those spots and thoroughly understand those spots. Now, there are plenty of times where I get to those places and it just doesn't look as good when I have boots on the ground as it did on the map and that happens plenty of times. Inversely, there's often times or there's been times where I've crossed a spot off on the map and I happen to kind of veer my way through, maybe on my way back to the truck while I was scouting, and that ends up being a really, a really good area for whatever reason. Being able to scout with intent allows you to kind of do that stuff a lot more, a lot more quickly. The exploration kind of factor comes in whenever you do kind of make it to your spots and maybe you suss out all the places that you thought were gonna be really good. The exploration piece is that maybe something caught your eye as you were scouting that was not in an area that you thought that you wanted to investigate, but now this piece of sign has caught your eye. Your ability to kind of read that sign on the fly and explore really just comes down to, you know, time spent in the woods and increasing your woodsmanship and trusting your eyes and trusting your gut to a degree and following that sign and figuring out why that sign's there. Uh, why didn't it look this uh, look good on the map? Why didn't I find this spot on the map? Whatever those questions are that you need to ask yourself, but it's that willingness to kind of take a different path even though you set a path in, in advance. At the end of the day, it's really about making a plan, working your plan, but staying adaptable that if new things come up or new information comes up, that you're willing to explore that information. The fourth thing that popped out to me um, was so important that I had to go through a wardrobe change, put on a new shirt, some new pants, to make sure you guys see and recognize how important it is. Not true at all. I actually forgot to record it, and it's one of my favorite parts of hunting. It's probably been the most instrumental in my growth, and wanted to come back a couple days later and record it to make sure you guys have this, this information. What that ultimately is, is freestyle hunting and or in-season scouting. Freestyle hunting or freelance hunting is really just an approach that you take to a property or an area that you have either limited or no information. You might have been able to e-scout it, you know, let's say maybe at most you got a quick, uh, had an opportunity to just do a quick run through of it, but you really don't know a whole lot about it. It's really kind of an approach and a strategy to kind of be able to take a piece that 
you don't have a ton of information about and make a quality plan on the fly. There are some kind of strategies or tactics that you'd want to use to to increase your odds of having success using this approach. I did a whole video on that. I'll put a link in the description so you guys can check that out. But I've used it in a, in a bunch of different out-of-state hunts. It's also helpful in areas where maybe you have information about and you've postseason scouted, but when you get to an area that you've postseason scouted, it doesn't look like what you expect it to look like, or maybe the action isn't what you thought it was supposed to be, and now you need to make a new plan. This approach and being able to kind of execute it over and over again has helped me help me build confidence in knowing that when things don't really work out, it's okay. My plan B is always to be able to go freestyle hunt and, and figure it out on the fly, and I know I can make a quality plan. And it's actually become one of my favorite ways to hunt where a lot of times I'll seek out places specifically just to go and do a hunt like that. So I'm not kind of maybe making choices or maybe maybe making decisions, you know, or predetermined decisions before I actually see what things, you know, what type of information is coming to me as I kind of walk and scout my way through through the woods on a hunt. Getting comfortable with this approach, uh, one of the other benefits to it is, uh, is, is that I use it a lot whenever I go out of state. A lot of times I don't have a chance to scout a lot of the places that I travel to to hunt. Um, you know, at minimum, I might get a day, you know, if I happen to be passing through a place, you know, for some other reason, but most of the time I don't take dedicated scouting trips to these states. Uh, I usually just rely on knowing that I can show up and I'm going to put my time in and I'm going to put miles on and I'm going to read the woods and I'm going to figure it out and, and I'll be able to make a quality plan within a couple of days. You know, the trip in Iowa that I took, uh, that was all a freestyle hunt and I filled a tag there, um, went to Missouri that was an all uh, a freestyle hunting trip on three different pieces of public over the course of seven days and had some good encounters. I ended up hitting one and losing it. That video is on the uh, Tether YouTube channel, so I can put a link in the description so you can check that out too. And then most recently I went to Kansas this year, never scouted it before, never been there before. And uh, within a couple of days was able to get on deer and had some really good encounters within bow range and was at full draw on the next to last day on a really good buck. Just didn't, uh, just didn't kind of you know seal the deal on that one. So it's definitely an effective way to hunt, uh, especially when you have limited time to scout and you have limited information about the places you might be hunting. The fifth thing that consistently popped out to me, and this might seem like a dust statement, but hunt where the deer are, not where you would like them to be. What do I mean by that? A lot of times, you know, guys who have had success in a particular tree that they've killed out of or whatever the case is, will feel like that spot should continue to produce, even though the things around that spot might be changing. We get emotionally attached to an area and we want to kill a deer there because we, we feel like that's the right setup where the sign might be telling you that you're 60 yards out of the game or you're 70 yards out of the game or whatever the case is, no matter how badly you want that spot to produce, you just might not be where the deer are at. An example of this might be a clear cut that you start hunting over whenever it's uh, three, you know, four years old, whatever the case is, that's really producing, it's providing great food, great bedding, and great cover. And for a handful of years, you might have great encounters in that area. But once that clear cut starts to age out to that 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, whatever, whatever the case is, well, now the food is getting up above the deer's head where it's not providing ample food. It's no longer, it's still kind of providing okay cover, but it's not as desirable. And so now all of a sudden the deer numbers go down. That's a situation there where you're continuing to hunt a spot because you, it has produced in the past, but the deer are no longer there. So now you need to find where the deer are spending time. That's essentially what that means. Seems like a really dust statement and a really simple thing to understand, but even myself, I'm guilty of getting emotionally attached to specific areas that I just feel like are great, and I, and I constantly work to break that habit. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, 
head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.